uh, we, uh, as a church, uh, work our way through the Bible. That's how we uh, do our teaching. Um, and that means we hit upon uh, different parts of the Bible each week. Now, it's been said by someone else that the Bible is shallow enough for a child to play in uh, and yet at the same time deep enough for an elephant to swim. And this morning and for the last couple of weeks it feels like the elephant has been drowning. (laughs) And I say that so that uh, because if you are new or if you are kind of new to uh, things of Christianity what it means to follow Jesus, Uh, I think we're in at the deep end this morning, Um, and I hope, my hope this morning is that um, I can help by shedding some extra light uh, on what Paul is teaching us by the help of God's Spirit. So let's have a look together um, at what we are, uh, what we have before us. I think that it will be uh, helpful to read a few other texts in advance and what I hope to do there is kind of build up in our minds kind of framework in which uh, lots of ideas will hopefully come together. So you'll have to do a bit of, bit of the work yourself as well. I'm going to read Exodus uh, chapter 34, 29 to 35 again just because I know what it's like sometimes when somebody else is reading and you aren't listening. So, let's read Exodus 34, 29 to 35, and let's concentrate on what's been said. Right, read it together with me. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. Now, this is a little bit technical, but it's okay, and it's worth knowing. What we have here is a translation, right? It wasn't, this, the Bible wasn't written in English. English is not that old of a language. It was, it was written in Hebrew, and there's another translation of the Old Testament, which they call the Septuagint, right? That's a Greek version, two different versions, right? And and we get our English version here, okay? What you can't see here, but what is in the Greek version, which is what the early Christians would have had in their mind, they would have been aware of the Greek version, is that this word, see where it says, Moses was not aware that his face was radiant. You see that? That's a way of putting into English a word that, that means that his face had been glorified. That's a weird kind of thing to say, but it probably means that his face was shiny, right? Moses came down with a kind of having been glorified face because he'd been with God in God's presence, right? Take note of that. Let's carry on. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them. So Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him and he spoke to them. Afterwards, all the Israelites came near him and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. 
When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out, he told the Israelites what he had been commanded. They saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord. So you get the idea? He goes in to speak with the Lord. His face kind of gets glorified. He comes back out. He tells it to the Israelites, but he puts a veil over his face when he talks to the Israelites. He goes back in to to speak to the Lord, takes the veil off again. That's one of the texts that'll help in the background. Another thing to note, so flip back over to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and just notice the context that this little portion that we have, where it comes. I'm just going to read from verse 3. As you will have heard last week, if you were here, you show, Paul's saying to the, the Corinthians, he's saying, look, do we, need, do we need letters of recommendation as apostles, as ministers of Christ? Do we need letters of recommendation uh, from you or, or to you about us? He says, you guys show, you authenticate our ministry. And then look what he says in verse 3. Because you show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. See that? Written with the spirit on tablets of human hearts. That's how they've become a letter. Verse 4, such confidence we have through Christ before God, not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, But our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Now, I'll read out a couple more verses that help in the background here again. The way that Paul writes, and you get to the New Testament is he's got the Old Testament whirling around here in the background, and so when he's saying things, he's pulling down these Old Testament ideas and bringing them to bear on the current situation. So a couple of texts in the background, you'll spot the trigger words in the text when they come up. One is Ezekiel 36. You don't need to turn there. It's Ezekiel 36, verse 24 to 27, And Ezekiel is one of the prophets. He comes at a time when the Israelites had had been taken into Babylon, into exile. And he is writing about a time when God will restore the nation of Israel. Uh, He's writing about a time when there will be a new covenant. The old covenant, the one that we read about in Exodus, when Moses came down the mountain, that was the covenant written on stone. And that was the covenant that was of the letter. Ezekiel, in chapter 36, is writing of a new time, and this is what he says. He's speaking as though it, um, it is the words of the Lord. And the Lord says this, For I will take you out of the nations, that's from out of exile, I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. Take note. 
I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone, ding, 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 (laughs) and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Can you see that there's a kind of nexus of ideas happening in those verses that are also happening in 2 Corinthians? What Paul's talking about here is he's talking about the new covenant. We're new covenant ministers. We're, we're ministers in the new covenant age. Jeremiah 31, verse 31 to 33, has similar ideas. He's also drawing on the same thing. It says this, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. Remember, at Mount Sinai. uh, Because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant that I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. Ready? I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And so back in 2 Corinthians, you show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. So that's our, that's our new covenant context that Paul's talking about. That's our Exodus uh, 34, Moses and the shiny face context. And then there's one more context that's relevant, which I think kind of hangs in the background here, and that is the we're in the new spirit age context. And it's worth noting at this point simply that fact. We're in the spirit age we are thoroughly spiritual. There, there isn't, we can't have a Christian ministry that is devoid of the Spirit. Totally not possible. This is the Spirit age. Everything is Spirit-powered. And so I'm just going to bust out another uh, few verses and you'll see that build up and see the impact that, that that's the time that we live in. So one is Joel 20, uh, Joel chapter 2, verse 28. And it's speaking of this future time. You've, you've noticed it in the, two, in, the, in the Ezekiel and the Jeremiah text because you noticed that spirit came up a couple of times and the spirit was doing the writing on our hearts. <clears throat> but this emphasizes that it's the spirit age. So... Joel chapter 2, verse 28. And afterwards, says the Lord, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Acts chapter 2, verse 33. This is now after Jesus has come, he's fulfilled his ministry uh, on earth, 
He's, he's been crucified, he's, he's died for sins, he's been raised to life for justification, he's ascended into heaven, and he's poured out the promised spirit. This is kind of what's been happening, you know. It's quite, quite amazing, really. Um, the Lord Jesus is currently in heaven and he's poured out the Spirit. We're in the Spirit time. So look what it says in chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, verse 30, 33. After this happens, sorry, a bit more context there. After this happens, Jesus pours out the Spirit. All the apostles and all the disciples, they start speaking in tongues. Uh, uh, big loud sound in Jerusalem. Lots of people come running in. What's going on? Uh, they're speaking all these different languages. Everybody can hear them talking in their... All these foreign people can hear them talking in their own in in their own common tongue. They say, what's going on? This sounds like you're all drunk. Peter stands up, says, no, we're not drunk. This is what God had promised. He said he'd pour out his spirit. It's happening now. And then Peter uh, goes on to kind of give an explanation. He says, this is what Joel was talking about when the spirit would get poured out. Uh, and then he says, look, this God raised this Jesus to life, and we're all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, that's Jesus, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. What you now see and hear is the Spirit poured out. And this is exactly what Jesus spoke about in John chapter 16, uh, verse, uh, verse 7 to 15, when he says, uh, but very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away, because unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. That's the spirit. <clears throat> but if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus is not here with us, but the spirit is. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment about sin because people do not believe in me about righteousness because I'm going to the father where you can see me no longer and about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned I have much more to say to you more than you can now bear but when he the spirit of truth comes he will guide you into all the truth he will not speak on his own he will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come he will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you the Spirit, Jesus is saying, I will go, the Spirit will come. And with that background in mind, I can say something like this. And I think this is what Paul is saying in these verses. I'm going to say what I think he says, and then I'll try to show you why it's there. I think Paul is saying that we, he, he's speaking of himself first, but I think it's applied to all of us. And I, I, I'm thinking of Pat now and what Pat just told me this morning earlier about a moment where he was thinking, you know, he was in a particular context. I hope this is all right, Pat, if I say, and he said, you know, I'm just going to be open about who we are, talking about us as a church. And I thought, yes, that is exactly what you can be. And so, because we're in the spirit age, so I think what Paul's saying is, he's saying we can act with boldness with each other 
and with the world. And what I mean by boldness there is, is, um, uh, is frankness. A little bit contrary to British temperament, we might say. Uh, we can act with frankness, with honesty, with openness because the spirit age brings transformed lives. I'll, I'll say that again. We can act with boldness toward each other and to the world because the spirit age brings transformed lives. We're in the time of the spirit and the spirit is at work transforming people's lives, removing the veil, causing us to see the Lord and at work in us, making us more like Christ. And I think Paul needs to be able to say that because... <clears throat> If you remember from previous weeks, he wrote them that difficult letter. You remember that? He wrote them that letter that caused them to grieve. It was a letter telling them that they were, uh, as a whole, they needed to repent. They were frank and bold and hard words. And I think what Paul is doing at this point is he's defending his ministry, and his behavior to say, I act this way because I'm a minister of the new covenant. And in this new covenant, the spirit gives life. The spirit is at work in you and he's giving life. So now we're going to try to see that here in uh, verses 7 through to 18. Um, and do work at the text because David, that's me, doesn't have good ideas on his own. I only have wisdom from the Bible. Left to myself, I can tell you heaps of fine sounding things even things that are close to the truth, but they were, they're just not right if they're not rooted in the truth of the Bible. I get all of my wisdom from here. So let's see if I can show you that from here now. Okay, I think the center, I think the easiest way to see it is to see the center of the verses of this section, and that is verse 12. Look at verse 12 with me. And it's got two words that will then explain the two um, sides of it. Verse 12. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Now, there's, that's, that's what I just said before, right? turn that around another way. We can be bold with each other because we have a hope. And that hope is that the spirit age brings transformed lives. Okay? Now, because of the word therefore, and it, uh, 
it means that Paul is now drawing a conclusion from what he just said before. So see where he says, therefore, since we have such a hope, the question then is, what hope? What do you mean? Therefore, since we have such a hope. Okay. Ah, the clue is, what he's just been talking about, he's now describing as a hope. Right? So we go back up and we're going to look. All right, show us how it's a hope. Because that's he draws his conclusion. And then from there, we have such a hope. And then he says, because, so here's, here's this thing that I've just explained. Because of this thing, which I'm going to call a hope, conclusion, we act like this. We act boldly. And then look at the next verse, verse 13. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face. In other words, Moses wasn't bold. Right? We have this hope. Therefore, we're very bold, not like Moses. And then riff on explaining Moses in his not boldness. Okay, so let's go to the first top section, verse 7 to 11. Therefore, since we have such a hope. What he does here is he, what Paul's doing in verses 7 to 11 is he's contrasting the ministry of the old covenant and the ministry of the new covenant. And he does it in three kind of uh, if-then arguments. And you can see that by the three uh, ifs in our text. Uh, One of them is in verse 7. Now, if... Okay, so here he goes with his argument. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was... Now his comparative conclusion. Will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? You see that? In other words, he's saying, if this first covenant, this ministry that, brings, that brought death, now it's not, that the, ministry, it's not that, the, that the law was bad. We know that from Romans. He tells us it's not, the law's not bad, but the law, even though it's a, it's a good thing, but because of the sinfulness of human people, its function is to uh, condemn and it brings death to us. It, because the way that the law works is the law is like a straight line for a drunk man. And what do I mean by that? When uh, people are drunk and everybody's drunk, From the inside, they think they're doing all right. They look around. Everybody seems to be in the same boat. We're all talking fairly normally. We're all walking fairly straightly. Until a sober person comes in and from that perspective goes, my word, you guys are all over the place. Your talking is slurred. You're not making any sense, and you're not walking in straight lines. That's why, you know, the old thing where the police officer, the bloke gets out of the car, he says, you know, I'm sober, officer. He says, all right, walk along the straight, you know, walk down the straight line. And he thinks he's walking straight until he sees the straight line, and then he realises, oh, my word, it's very difficult to keep on the line. (laughs) Right? The law works like that for us. We think, yeah, 
I'm doing pretty good. And we look around at ourselves, corporately as a society, we're pretty, pretty straight up and down society. Until the law comes, and then we go, oh, no coveting. Oh, no greed. Oh, no gossip. Oh, no deceit. Oh, no lust. Oh, no, oh, anger uh, is actually the, about to turn to murder if it had the opportunity. We're really crooked. And so the straight line shows the crooked people. That's why it was the ministry that brought death. Okay, now, if that ministry that had that effect of bringing death came with a shiny-faced man, right? Now, I've put it that way because it says here, uh, in verse 7, look. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters of stone, came with glory. You see where it says that? Came with glory. We kind of say, okay, what do you mean by glory? And then he explains it. So that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, right? So he tells us what he means by the glory. And as we go back, we find out, ah, when the tablets came down the mountain, they came down with a shiny-faced man, right? So let's paraphrase in this slightly different way. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with a shiny-faced man so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its shininess, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more shiny-faced peopleness? Right? Have we got that clicker? Okay. So, you'll see in your Bible that it says... Um, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? Can you see that? <clears throat> will not be even more glorious. What's glorious? English grammar? Yes. What's, that's, the, that's the English standard version there. That's the ESV. So this is not me being fancy translator man. This is a, just another Bible that anybody, any, any of you can pick up and read. What's glory at the end there? English grammar? Noun. Right. So, noun or adjective? I think it's a noun. That's why I brought that up. All translations have got, got their pros, pros and cons. That's why, that's why we've got multiple. Anyone who does languages knows it doesn't, doesn't work uh, straight across. So this is not a problem for us. We will, not, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more shiny-faced people? There's my uh, vindication of my translation. That's the first one. <clears throat> now, verse 9. If the ministry, this is the second comparison, if the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, uh, or had glory, if we were with the ESV, had shiny-faced people, how much more the, is the ministry that brings righteousness? How much more shiny-facedness is the ministry that brings righteousness? So the comparison here is, if this thing that brought death and brought condemnation, and the final if, um, little if section is in uh, verse 11, if what was transitory came with glory, if that had this effect of this shiny-faced man, how much more 
will this thing that has that produces goodness that um, that is the ministry of the spirit that brings life that is the ministry of righteousness that is the ministry that continues how much more will the effects that is the shiny facedness uh, uh, how much more of that will this ministry have? If this thing that's kind of negative even got some, how much more will the thing that's positive get heaps of it? Because it brings righteousness. Okay? <clears throat> and then in verse um, 10, he even says, you know, the comparison is, is, is such that what used to seem uh, like it had um, was shiny is nothing now compared to how much shininess has come in the new, in the new ministry. And then we're, and see now we're back to verse, uh, now we're into verse 12. Therefore, since we have such a hope. So that, that comparison, that comparative little argument that he did is him saying, he now calls that a hope. Therefore, since we have such a hope, and I think there that the reason it's a hope is because he's saying it's a hope because in, in the background here, I'm aware that I'm in a new age. I'm in the age when the Spirit's been poured out. I'm ministering under a new covenant. It's not a covenant that uh, is designed to condemn and uh, highlight sin. I'm in the covenant of the Spirit when God is transforming people's lives and changing hearts and writing on their hearts by his spirit. And with that hope in mind, right, with that kind of age that I'm in and that's the covenant, that's the kind of ministry that I've been given, that's a hope. And because of that, I'm very bold. I act confidently. I act frankly, openly, we can talk honestly because at this age, the Spirit is at work in your lives, Corinthians. And so I can write a difficult letter. I can speak honest words. I can uh, look what he says in uh, chapter 4, just to give an idea of this is how, uh, of what he's um, talking about. Look, look what he says in verse 4. Uh, we, chapter 4, verse 2. We have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. By setting forth the truth plainly. And he said the same thing, similar kind of ideas in chapter 2, verse 17. Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. Uh, on the contrary, in Christ we speak before God with sincerity. You see? He speaks openly, honestly, because he has this hope. Now, just as we come into land, this back section, he says, not like, we're very bold, not like Moses. And then I think at the end, we see where this kind of, uh, um, all these effects of the new ministry start to take place, um, where he kind of pan, uh, opens it up and shows what he means. So, Let's just fly over this um, verses 13 to uh, 16. What he's saying there is recapping um, 
what we read in Exodus 34. We're not like Moses, right? Moses would take his shininess uh, and he would cover it up because during that um, period in redemptive history, the hearts of the people were hard. God hadn't written, uh, he hadn't poured out his spirit to write on people's hearts. Um, that, was a, that was something that was reserved until Christ had ascended and poured out the spirit. And so it's still the same when that covenant is read. Without the spirit at work uh, and without Christ, that that veil is still there and there's still a dullness to seeing the glory of the Lord. Now, what Paul does in these last few verses <coughs> is where the complexity comes in. And so bear with me uh, as, we, as we come to an end and think these things over. But what he does is he, he, he does one of these moves where he does a couple of a hop and a skip and you think, wow, what was that? And then he's ended up over here and he's, he's, um, he, he makes sense, the problems with us. Um, and because what he's doing is he's moving from the veil being on Moses' face to the veil being on people's hearts to us having unveiled faces to... Um, us beholding the Lord's glory, so now we're in the place of Moses. Uh, so he, he moves, he, he kind of, he skips around in that way, uh, and it would probably be another sermon to try to unpack how he did that. Um, but I think uh, as a sum of what he's saying is, uh, my confidence in, in what he's doing here is because he's moved from saying we are very bold, not like Moses, that his big point is just to show that Moses wasn't, the way that Moses conducted his ministry wasn't with an openness that Paul had. And, and, and that was evidenced by him covering over his face with the veil. Uh, but then he says... Um, in verse 18, and this is where I think we see what Paul means by uh, coming with more glory or more shininess. We see it in verse 18. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. <clears throat> And I think what's happening there is Paul saying, um, under the old covenant, the uh, the privilege of being able to look at the glory of the Lord was reserved for Moses. And so that old covenant, when it came, it did come with a privilege of a man being able to go into the presence of the Lord um, and he was transformed. And then he came out, but other people weren't able to see that transformation. They weren't even able to see the, the reflection 
uh, of the transformation. They weren't even able to see the glory that had, had kind of rubbed off onto Moses' face, as it were, let alone the glory uh, that existed uh, for Moses inside the tent. But the way that the new covenant works is that uh, God's spirit has come and God's spirit has worked on our hearts to remove the veil so that we, with spiritual sight, as it were, behold the glory of the Lord, which I think is... Um, <clears throat> come and talk to me how, uh, if, to, if you want to know how I get to this point. Is I think that he's beholding the glory of Jesus... <clears throat> we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of Jesus are being transformed into Jesus' image. So the, the beauty of the new covenant is that we all get to see the glory of God in Jesus' face, and as we get to see that glory, so now we all, as it were, uh, get transformed. We all have shiny faces, and we'll find out later that Paul will end up saying, Outwardly, we're wasting away. Inwardly, we're being renewed. So we don't actually have shiny faces like Moses did. We all, uh, as, we, as we look upon the glory of, lo of the Lord, we are being transformed from his glory uh, to the same form of his glory. And that comes from the Lord, uh, verse 18, who is the Spirit. And so let me just read chapter 4, verse 6, as a final verse to see that. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Jesus Christ. We can act with boldness toward each other and towards the world because we live in the spirit age under the ministry of the spirit which brings transformed lives. And perhaps that encourages us with the hope and with boldness toward each other and towards the world around us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for our time together this morning. Uh, Lord, as we sing uh, praises to you, we pray that you would continue to open the eyes of our hearts uh, to see Jesus more clearly, uh, to behold your glory. Thank you for the privilege that it is that we all, uh, with unveiled faces, get to behold your glory and are being transformed. Uh, we pray uh, that you would help us to be bold in our witness, uh, to the world and to one another, trusting that your spirit will be at work. Uh, we, are, we are desperately dependent on you, God. Uh, we rely on you to be at work in our hearts and in the hearts of others. So please, do your work, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.